When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Friday Buckeye Talk. We're doing a little hoops. Douglas Maurice and Stephen Means. We're going to talk about the basketball Buckeyes. Haven't checked on them for uh, checked on them for a while. Ten and four, four and two after a loss at Wisconsin on Thursday night. Steven covers the team. I watched three quarters of the game on Thursday night, so I'm mostly here to ask questions. We have some more big stuff, uh, football stuff coming next week, but, you know, these guys are a top 25 team, and we had not devoted an entire podcast to them in a while, so we wanted to uh, check in on that. And, again, if you want to keep up with the Buckeyes, Steven does text out basketball information in our text stream. And again, if you don't really want basketball information, you only want Ohio State football, we have a special basketball group within the football text group. So it doesn't cost any more money, but it's like, if you don't want it, we're not going to force it on you. But if you do want it, it's just part of the deal. It's almost like two tech subscriptions in one. So if you are into the basketball Buckeyes, who are pretty interesting right now, and you want to join the text, maybe you haven't before, 614-350-3315. And then if you want it, you get all the basketball, plus all the football, plus all the football recruiting. $3.99 a month, two-week free trial. All right, Stephen, I think in basketball these days, it feels like at every level, like you need at least two dudes, right? That is, it's hard to be great with one guy. Maybe that's not. I guess that goes back probably to Bill Russell and Bob Cousy or whatever, right? This is not like we just invented the big three or at least a combo of guys. But we knew Ohio State had one great player heading into this year because E.J. Liddell had shown us that. And last year, Dwayne Washington often would pair with E.J., especially on the offensive end. You'd think, okay, they got a little two-man game at least going there. But Dwayne Washington left. He's in the NBA. And it was like, what's going to happen? And it feels like it's happening. Malachi Branham as a true freshman is emerging. Is this how you envisioned it? I think it's going exactly the plan. Um, Obviously, he had that 35 point out against Nebraska, um, which is second only to Jared Selinger ever from a true freshman at Ohio State. Um, That's ridiculous. 
I, we shouldn't be sitting here talking about, oh, yeah, he's just going to have 30-point nights every other night or something like that. But the idea that I thought it might take him the first two months of the season to just get used to playing college basketball, especially because of the way he plays and the way he scores, he very much operates in the mid-range. His game is almost – it's an NBA game. I don't mean talent wise. I just mean the way he approaches the NBA basketball is so different than any other level of basketball that the way that you have to approach it is very different. And he has an NBA style of game where it's a lot of in the mid range, whether it's mid post posting up, whether it's, you know, pulling up in the mid range shots and just getting the shots off of there. And a lot of that stuff that he was able to get away with at Accurate St. Vincent St. Mary's high school, he just wasn't going to be able to get away with to start the season. So he was going to have to find another, some other ways to be effective. And as he was growing into that, he wasn't really much of a scorer. He had, before they went on the COVID break, he had one game where he was in double figures and that was against Penn state with 11 points. And so barely over double figures since they've come back from that, since the 35 point night, he's at 13, 24, and then 10 on Thursday night against Wisconsin. The, the expectation from him from now on should be anywhere from you know, 12 to 18 points. I think that's a good compliment to what EJ Liddell is, who, as I said at the beginning of the season, he was going to have to carry this team and just be the offensive load until Malachi was ready to join him. And EJ did that. He was basically a 20-point scorer every night with a few off nights because that happens. But for the most part, he carried this team offensively. And now it looks like Malachi is ready to join him. So if they can consistently do that, this team, then this team has a legitimate chance to make a deep postseason run. As it stands now, as we record Friday afternoon, EJ Liddell fourth in the Big Ten at scoring at 19.9 points per game. Malachi 39th in the Big Ten and scoring at 10.4 points per game. He's the second highest scorer for Ohio State. But as you said, Stephen, coming on lately, he's not a 10-point-a-game scorer. He was like a six-point-a-game scorer, and now he's like a 14-point-a-game scorer. So if he can give them – I mean, I think you're right. If, let's say if he gave them 14 a night, 20th in the Big Ten in scoring right now is 14.1 points per game. So it's like you have a guy in the top five, you have another guy like in the top 25. I think that would work. And I think the interesting thing is Liddell's game has clearly expanded and grown this year and that Branham is multifaceted. This is not a scoring situation where it's like a post guy and a three-point shooter, right? Where we've seen that before. And again, my, my reference point in Ohio State basketball is a very specific era where I was dealing with it all the time. Like Jared Sullinger and John Diebler, where it's like you throw it in, you throw it out, they play off each other. Both these guys, Bram and Liddell, really can play off each other, Stephen, because they both are versatile. And EJ is not just a back-to-the-basket guy as much as he was last year. He's out all over the court. Branham will slash. Again, he, he didn't have a huge game against Wisconsin last night, but there was just one point where I looked at him. He just like went right through the defense and went right to the rim. And it was like, well, that's going to work. And you can see that they do – you can see how they do complement each other, right? That sometimes you could have two scorers who are button heads a little bit. It's like, oh, I'm an ISO guy and I'm an ISO guy. Well, I got to get mine and you got to get yours. I can see how these guys could work together to make each other better in the second half of the season. It's the ability to go get their own shot because I, I love that you brought up the Jarrett Sullinger, John Diebler situation. But even in those two situations, you got to – get a post entry to Jared Sellinger, you know, or it, yep. it doesn't matter that he's elite like that. John Diebler was never a elite ball handler. So you got to set, you know, uh, off ball screens for him and he's got to get open shots. Both of these guys, 
when it matters most, especially in the half court, you can just hand them the ball and say, hey, go get me a bucket. And they both can do it. And they both do it in such unique ways that it doesn't necessarily get in the way of each other. But I do think the main difference between this scoring duo and last year's scoring duo is that you have two guys who are going to do it consistently. I think with Dwayne, it was some nights it's going to be 30 points and there's going to be other nights where it's seven points, but it's going to be 18 plus shots and you're going to be pulling your hair out every single time he puts the ball up. When you say Malachi could give you 14 points tonight, he could legitimately give you 14 points every single night. It's not as much of a roller coaster with him. And EJ Liddell is in year three and year two of being you know, the primary scorer for this team. So he's clearly on that level outside of basically two games this year. And so that's where you start to make deep runs when you're not worried about, okay, is one of your best players going to be off tonight, but still take seven or eight bad shots that are going to shoot you out of the game. I don't, I'm not worried about Malachi and EJ doing that. Even if they have bad shooting nights, they all, all of Malachi's shots against Wisconsin, whether it was this Thursday or it was before the COVID outbreak, all of those shots were efficient shots. They just weren't falling on some nights, which can happen. The, the roster building standpoint is I always like to talk about roster building and it's mm-hmm. one more difficult in college sports when you have the transfer portal, when you guys have, have guys moving in and out in every college basketball, especially basketball. When you have guys, guys can go to the NBA after one year, but they also can transfer. Like there's multiple ways guys can leave. And I'm sure Chris Holtman and every other major college basketball coach would say like roster building. What are you talking about? I'm just trying to survive from year to year. But the, the way this has worked, and I've been critical of Holtman's roster building in the past that you have a guy like Liddell who had a little dalliance, right, with the NBA after year two, mm-hmm. but never, no one really thought he was going to go. So he was, as a freshman, had a role, seven points per game. As a sophomore, very, very good. Very, very good. Like 16 a game. And then came back in year three and is better. Is different, is more versatile, is better. And now you pair the veteran, does it all, established year three guy, and now here comes the top 50 year one guy. And if that, like, I like that. So, and again, you can't make these good players stay, but like, if you're going to tell me Liddell and Branham, then next year, Branham's going to carry the load more Then in year three. Branham stays for year three. He's even better. Now here comes another top 50 freshman to pair with him. Like I like the old and young. I like the way they fit together. It's, it's can be hard, Steven, because I don't know that you can assume a true freshman necessarily if he's not you know a guy who's going to be a surefire lottery pick but it feels like it was reasonable to think that malachi branham was going to help them right away and but he didn't have to do it himself he doesn't have to be the number one option so you know if you're duke and you're going to get zion right or whatever and you just bring in a guy who's gonna be a lottery pick and he's your best player right away okay but if you're ohio state if it's not Greg Oden, I don't know if I'm in love. I mean, D'Angelo Russell did it, but like maybe you don't want the true freshman to have to be your best player. But if you can pair, I want the true freshman to be our second best player. And I'm going to have a veteran to pair him with, man, I like the roster building part of this too, that again, I think Holtman for what he can control, some of these pieces, old and young, how they fit on the court, really, I think you can see how they fit this season. Yeah, I think, Ohio State has to build its rosters the same way you often see Tom Izzo do at Wisconsin. I mean, at Michigan State or what Wisconsin does, where it's you have these players who are really good college basketball players, but they're not quite good enough to leave and go pro, which is 
And that backfired with D'Angelo Russell because I mean he'll even he was admitting it at the time that dog, I thought I was gonna be here for two years. And then I came out here and showed out. It's like I'm gonna be the second pick in the draft. I have to go. It just doesn't make any sense for me to not do that. The same thing happened with Michael Conley. But EJ Liddell is almost a perfect example of the type of player Ohio State needs to go after because he's a really good college basketball player, but because I mean he's only six six and he's a power forward, and you know that just doesn't match unless you're Paul Millsap. He might stick around for two or three years. Malachi Branham he might stick around for a minimum of two years because of that type of stuff. Uh, Frank Kaminsky was kind of the same way. Uh, so that that's the way they have to build their rosters. And so ideally, yes, this is what you want here. You want. EJ Liddell, who was a former top 50 recruit, who's now in year three and he's carrying the load. And now you've got the freshman top 50 recruit who's like, who basically is Robin. And then two years from now, whoever the top 50 recruit freshman is, is Malachi Branham's Robin. But it doesn't always work out that way. But when it does, it creates a situation like this where you've got two guys who are a threat to go off for 20 points at any time. That they do that, that level. It's almost like you could argue if you wanted to, it's like, I'd rather, if you get that third year, I mean, the third year of EJ coming back is critical. If you're going to get the third year, I think I'd almost rather have like three years of good than one year of great. Right. And that, that EJ Liddell, according to 247 sports was the number 44 recruit in the class of 2019 Malachi Branham, the number 38 recruit in the class of 2021, you know, Malachi Branham's not playing in such a way that, that you think, Oh, well, that's it. He's going to be out the door after year one. So you can kind of bank on year two, an improvement in year two. And then like maybe if you're Ohio State, cross your fingers for year three. But if you, even if you don't get it, that he could be your second best scorer now. But not so good that he's going to leave. And then, you know, EJ Liddell's going to leave. He's not going to come back for year four. But then you can think, well, if Malachi Branham is our first option next season, we're good. And then we'll start filling in around him. So I do think it's a credit to Chris Holtman of, of kind of putting this together and that I think you, your read on Malachi Branham is like the read they should hope for. And again, it turns out it's exactly on, yeah, you know, not a slow start, but working his way in, but like midpoint freshman year, let's go. We can rely on you. And he's a guy I think that you can rely on right now. Who's the third best scorer, even not by points per game necessarily is Justin suing when he's healthy, the third best scorer for this team, or if they're hoping when they get to March, when they get to, Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament time. Who will that guy be? Yeah, if he gets healthy from this groin injury or ever feels healthy enough, that's maybe a better way to put it. He's their third best player. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say best score because in this position, like last year he was 10.5 rebounds and one and a half assists per game, which is good. basically he did a little bit of everything, and that's just going to be his role this year again whenever he gets healthy. So, yeah, I'd say Justice Suing is the third option, but – with the other two, it's option one and option two. It's the first thing they're thinking about is go put the ball in the basket and then we'll worry about everything else later. With just assuming it's going to be, listen, some nights we're going to need you to score. Some nights we're going to need you to rebound. Some nights we're going to need you to be more of a playmaker. Some nights we're going to need you to be an elite level defender. It just depends on who the opponent is. But yes, and if the, if there's a hierarchy here, Justice Sewing is probably third. And then that fourth guy can kind of rotate depending on who the opponent is between Justin Arns, Kyle Young, Michi Johnson. I'll even throw uh, Jamari Wheeler in there because he's Zed key. Zed key. You know, it's it, that, and that's the good thing about this team. They've got like six guys averaging at least six and a half points right now. And you still don't have justice suing and Seth towns a part of this. And so after the, the um, initial two, it gets very balanced, which is a good thing. 
All right, we'll take a quick break. Come back. We want to talk about a little. I want to talk about point guard a little bit. Um, we want to sort of talk about um, just maybe like the Big Ten race and a couple other things. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug and Steven back here talking Ohio State hoops. Uh, Michi Johnson missed the game Thursday night in Wisconsin. What was it? He got hurt in practice or something, Steven? Yeah, he, he had a facial injury in practice. Um, there's, from what I've been told, there's no exact timeline for his return right now, which, I mean, depending on how bad the facial injury is, he could be playing Sunday in a mask or it might take him a couple of weeks for it to heal up. So, yeah, he's just out with – which is that's another primary ball handler you're without now. So, but Michi and Jamari Wheeler sharing those ball handling duties for the most mm-hmm. part, right? Yes. So, um, then Jamari Wheeler, when Michi's not there, Jamari Wheeler is averaging more minutes per game. But then when, when Michi's out, then Jamari really, really has to do it. Kind of a weird spot uh, Thursday night. And again, I'm not going to pretend that I've been following the basketball team closely all year. What was Wheeler from three-point range last night? Was he 0 for 5? I think it felt like Wisconsin was, was leaving him open. Yes. And... He's a defense first guy. We know that he established that reputation at Penn state. Ohio state knew what they were getting when they brought in Jamari Wheeler. And it was to settle the point guard position, be a leader, be a defensive guy, handle the ball, not necessarily be a shooter. Um, He actually is shooting. Okay. From three point range on the season, 34%. But I thought they got, just got caught a little bit. You could see moments where like he was open. It's like, well, he's open for a reason. And he, I guess he took them and it's like suing's out and Michi's out. It's like, I get it. But um is the point, are they getting what they need out of the point guard position when Michi's there, right? When you have both those guys, do they need them to be scorers? Or do they just need them to handle the ball and play D? What's the point guard play been like? Yeah, I think I, I asked Jake Dealer this a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's kind of similar to what it was last year with CJ Walker and Dwayne Washington. One is the more dynamic and clearly the more talented player, but the other one is a little bit more um even kill can get you in the offense is a lot more experienced and that's what wheeler is he's a guy who gets them in the offense he doesn't make a ton of mistakes and he guards at a really high level wisconsin but the problem with him is teams can turn him into a can make him have to be a scorer and then you get games like last night where he's five or 12 and over five from three and it feels like man that guy's wide open and you just don't feel comfortable with that situation and how many more teams are going to watch that film that Wisconsin just put out there and try to use that same exact thing especially if, if Michi's out for an extended period of time while with Michi Michi's you know viable to have moments where you know he hits a game-winning three-pointer and and Against, uh, against Seton Hall, but then he also has moments where he's throwing jump passes and he's out of control and he's turning the ball over and stuff like that. So he's still learning as well. And so right now they kind of balance each other out. But I do think if you're going to be in a situation where other teams are going to force your point guard to be a scorer, I'd rather have Michi Johnson on the floor because his ceiling is higher. But I do think yeah. Jamari Wheeler gets you through a season like this when you just need a guy who is a distributor and a guy who can put guys in position. And every uh, granted against Northwestern, he had he was flirting with a triple double for most of the night. So he'll have some of those good nights as well. It's just his ceiling isn't as high as Michi Johnson's is, even if his floor right now is probably higher. So this team was eight and two when COVID hit. So they they beat Wisconsin at home 73-55 on December 11th. Then they didn't play for three weeks, had a bunch of stuff canceled. Um, COVID hitting everybody in college basketball and around the country. 
So they come back on January 2nd. They've played four games since they came back. Overtime win at Nebraska, 16-point loss at Indiana, eight-point win at home versus Northwestern, and now this 10-point loss at Wisconsin. Two and two since they came back. And again, one of them wins is in overtime, and another one, like, you know, Northwestern stinks, right? So, like, the fact that that was a little bit maybe close for a while. So um, this has kind of been a thing, and it's like, you start fast and then you hit sort of this January, February lull. And then the Ohio state sort of hopes to get it back in March. And it's sometimes like, well, you know, you play a lousy non-conference schedule and you but like, they beat Duke. Like they often, when they have these fast starts, it's not just a bad schedule. They usually have like a marquee win early in the year. And then the big Ten's tough. We get it, but they hit a stretch and you're going to lose some games, but it's hard not to ask some questions. And it feels like almost every year, Stephen, we wind up at this point in the season asking a couple questions about the Ohio state basketball team, 10 and four. Like, should we be asking questions or is it like, you know what? You split with Wisconsin home and home. That sounds about right. You know, Indiana's got some good players. You lose at Indiana, right. Coming off COVID stuff. What are you going to do? Like, is this just completely normal and there's no reason to be asking questions about this team? I think right now you let it go because of the caveat of they didn't play basketball for three weeks and they weren't practicing. And, and the only people who were doing any types of workouts were the small group of guys who didn't test positive and they didn't have their coach for a game, even though they won that game against Northwestern, but their defense was horrid in that game. I think for now, what we're seeing through these last four games is a team trying to rebuild a lot of that momentum and rhythm that they had that allowed them to beat Duke, that allowed them to beat Seton Hall, that allowed them to blow out Wisconsin the way they did. They That was a statement game against Wisconsin. And now you're thinking, okay, they're going to close out this non-conference schedule and probably be a top 10 team going into Big Ten play. Well, that didn't happen. So now they've got to basically start from scratch and rebuild a lot of that up. And it's part of why E.J. Liddell didn't play well against Nebraska and against Indiana and took to the Northwestern game for him to have that 34-point outing. And so let's see where it's at when – Purdue when they go to Purdue on January 30th. I think that's a good gauge for them. Purdue's going to be a top 10 team throughout the next couple of weeks here. They'll be flirting around that spot. Um, these next three games, four games leading up to that Penn State, IUPUI, they should win, they should win both of those games pretty easily. And then Nebraska and Minnesota are pretty interesting. But I do think that Purdue game where it's potentially a top 10 team, depending on how some other teams play. And as long as Ohio state doesn't blow any of these four games before it can serve as a little bit of a checkpoint of, okay, should we be worried about this Ohio state team basically having a post calendar slump that we've come to know over the last, at least since I've been covering this week, that's how it's been. And so that Purdue game is really, I think the most important game of the early big 10 schedule for me. Five big 10 teams currently ranked in the AP poll. As we record this, Purdue seven, Wisconsin 13, no, Purdue seven, Michigan State 10, Wisconsin 13, Ohio State 16, Illinois 25. So Ohio State has split with Wisconsin. They have not yet played Purdue, Michigan State, or Illinois, and they only play each of those teams once, and they have all those ahead. So we have this Wisconsin split, which is normal. Ohio State won convincingly at home, and then Wisconsin kind of controlled the game on Thursday night. So we do have these tests ahead. Stephen, can Ohio State compete for a Big Ten title here? Like Michigan State and Illinois have not yet lost in conference play. Are there just a couple teams? Purdue's the highest ranked team, but they're also two and two 
in in the conference. Uh, are there just a couple teams who are more talented than them? One through eight, and that's going to be it. And Ohio State's really fighting to be like fourth or fifth. Or does it feel like if they get it together, like Ohio State has a chance to win the Big Ten? I don't think there's a dominant overall Big Ten team this year where it's like that's clearly the best team in this conference. I think there's three or four, and I think Ohio State is among that group. And I think this schedule is favorable in a way that might allow them to actually win a Big Ten title because they only play a lot of those teams once. They only play, like you just said, they play Illinois once, they play Purdue once, they play Michigan State once, and Michigan has at this point not been pretty, really good this year. So they don't have to play a lot of these teams twice where they might you know, suffer two losses to those. So just because they have a favorable schedule, I think they've got a deep team that's pretty veteran. You've got Malachi Branham coming along. Michi Johnson's getting better by the day. Justice Suing and Seth Towns are eventually going to get healthy. I do think it's reasonable to expect them to compete for a Big Ten title. And at the bare minimum, at least get a bye to Friday for, for the Big Ten tournament, which I am still firmly in the corner of when you get to the Big Ten tournament, win one game and then lose and then rest and get ready for the NCAA tournament because that was a lot of effort putting to that went into losing the Illinois and the Big Ten championship game just to turn around five days later and get upset in the first round. No, I don't. It, nobody cares about the Big Ten tournament. Try the best to win the regular season Big Ten championship. And if you don't, and if you're second or third, okay, fine. Go win a game in the tournament just for the sake of momentum and then lose. And then go get ready for the NCAA tournament because that's the only thing. That's that's where we're gauging you at. Can you get to the second weekend? Chris Holtman in his four years at Ohio State so far, 15-3 and three in conference play, tied for second in the Big Ten in his first season. Since then, 8-12 and 12 tied for eighth, 11-9 tied for fifth, 12-8 fifth. So, you know what? It'd be great to win a Big Ten title. The regular season title is significantly more important than the, the Big Ten tournament title. But – you know, that's tough. We know it's a tough conference. We know that Ohio State basketball is not the Ohio State football of Big Ten basketball, right? You're always kind of looking up at Izzo, and Izzo is kind of going to be Izzo, and Michigan State's going to always be there. And then you do have Purdue and Illinois and Michigan and some of these other programs that are always going to be around Wisconsin. But I do think like a top four finish to me would be an accomplishment, right? That like, who, who cares? If finish fourth or fifth is not really a big deal. No, it's not. But to hang around and be in the race late, um, you know, maybe not have eight conference losses, 12 and eight last year. I mean, I think that there's some good stuff to strive for here that we end up talking about the NCAA tournament a lot. And Chris Holtman needs to win some NCAA tournament games, but it's not only that. It's not only that. And so I just think a little more competitive during the stretch of the Big Ten would be a really good thing for this team. All right. Let's take one more quick break, and then I can't ever talk about it. If I'm ever talking about Ohio State basketball, I immediately am going to the state of the program. <laughs> it's like, oh, they get a win on Tuesday. It's like, I don't care. I want to know maybe like four years from now. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug and Steven. So as we think about this, Steven, right? So, I mean, you know, I don't want to be so focused on the future that you can't enjoy the present. They're playing some interesting basketball, right? I mean, it's one of those things. They lost to Wisconsin on Thursday night. But if you turn that game on, you know, EJ Liddell's doing some stuff and Malachi Branham's doing some stuff and Big Ten basketball is good and it's competitive. And it's one of those things, just like in football, it's like, well, you want it to be competitive. It's like, all right, well, the more competitive it is, the more you're going to lose. It's like, okay, what do you want? So Big Ten basketball is competitive. 
So that's good. I think like uh, of anything, it, you want a team that it's fun to watch. You don't want it to be drudgery. You don't want them to be awful. You don't want to dislike how they play, right? I mean, these are some, they have some skilled dudes who can do some stuff. So you flip on the Buckeyes, you'll probably have a good two hours. With how this is unfolding, with their latest recruiting class, with navigating all of this, with what we talked about of sort of like Branham fitting in and being good. And it does feel like, again, it's like you've got Wheeler and Michi at the point. You've got Zed Key and Kyle Young as big guys who aren't dominant, but they can both rebound. They can both score a little. You've got some versatile guys around them in Liddell and Suing and Branham. It feels like the roster makes sense. They're playing pretty well right now. Is Does it feel like this is, yeah, this is where you want Ohio State to be in year five of Chris Holtman? On paper, they looked the part. And that's part of the problem of like the la- how the last couple of years have looked. This is this looks like one of the better teams in the Big Ten and at bare minimum a top 15 program in the country. They signed the number seven recruiting class in the country where all but one of the five guys in it are top 100 recruits. Uh, Bryce Sensenbaugh, obviously 101. But for the sake of this, you know, four top 100 recruits who are all expected to like make have an impact in year one when they get here. This looks the part. This looks like a team where it's like, okay, Sweet 16, Elite Eight is where we're going every single year from here on out. The problem is they just haven't done it yet. So, yeah, there's there's reason for optimism that this is still headed in the right direction. It's just – and we keep harping on this, but at some point you've actually got to go out there and do it. And this seems like because of the recruiting class you just signed, because of the deep roster you have right now with a good mixture of veteran players – and young guys who are coming into their own and then you're adding in that class, this seems like the perfect year to like actually do it and actually make that momentum turn into something. So yes, I'm still going to live in, I still believe in this team and this program and where it's headed, but it's, I mean, he's not on a hot seat or anything, but it is time to start showing it, showing that like all this hard work and what we're seeing on paper is actually what's translating onto the court. Yeah. They have, they have good players and they play well together and, and they seem like a good team. And I think if you just analyze them in a vacuum, you'd be like, yeah, I, I like a lot of it. Again, we, I've always was like, well, show me some NBA guys. I, you don't have to have lottery picks, but show me some NBA guys. I think they have, they have two NBA guys, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Liddell and Branham are NBA guys. I don't know mm-hmm. what that means. Are they going to be first round picks? Are they going to be second round picks? Are they going to go undrafted, but play, I, I don't know, but it looks like they have NBA skills, right? So that matters. You don't have to be Greg Oden, but that matters. And so I like that part of it. They are old though, right? Again, like if we think like who, the guys who are going to be around next year, you figure Branham's going to be leading the way, Michi's going to be running the show, and then it's going to be a lot of the young guys, right? So like this is a pretty old team. So I do think the idea that you're saying a lot of this makes sense for this to hit this year they got upset by a 15 seed last year. And until they win a tournament game, that's what's going to be in our heads. And that's the deal. That's, that's fair. They have to live with that. That was a huge upset. Not good. But this feels like a sweet 16 team as we sit here in the middle of January. Yes. That's, yes. That should be the expectation. Anything less than that is a failure at this point. Even if you win the first game and then you lose in the second round, that's a failure. You need to be in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament this year with what this team is. Yeah. So it'll be, it's, it'll be interesting. Again, only 
three games left against teams that are currently ranked, but you've, you've got some good competitive teams, obviously in the middle of this conference, they're going to lose a couple of those games. That's fine. You know, they've got to win a couple of these big games too. They've got to knock off at least go one for three, I think against Illinois, Michigan state and Mm -hmm. Purdue, Michigan is one of those things. It's like, What's the state of Ohio State basketball? Michigan was flying high. Is Michigan COVID racked? Like Michigan's barely above 500 this season, right? And didn't people think Michigan would be much better than this in basketball this year? Yeah, just because they brought back Hunter Dickinson, but they just haven't been good. I, I don't think it's COVID. They just, you know, I don't think they've won back-to-back games twice this year. And it was Buffalo and Prairie View A&M and then San Diego State and Nebraska. While right now they're on a two-game losing streak. So it's just, they haven't been able to find it so far this year. Yeah. So that happens That's you know, if Ohio state was having that year, I'd be screaming. So, you know, they're, they're at this edge where they've had some weird winter stretches in the recent past. So let's keep an eye on that, but also we're not going to preemptively like hold some rough stretches in the last couple of years against this team now, because I think when it starts with Liddell and it starts with Branham and then you have, point guard role guys and big role guys and then a couple shooters that's that's a formula that's a familiar formula to Ohio State this is almost the formula I would pick for Ohio State two NBA dudes and then guys in clear roles let's go like two role shooters two big role guys two point guard role guys and then two NBA guys that's my eight-man rotation and that that's what their rotation like that's what their rotation is Sounds good to me. (laughs) So like that's, it's easier said than done. But uh, if this works, if this is a sweet 16 team, then this is the blueprint because it's not just the results. It's it's who you are, how you play, how you've got there. And as much as some of this stuff with the transfer portal is hard to keep track of and it drives the coaches nuts. um, EJ Liddell, recruit. Malachi Branham, recruit. Michi Johnson. Recruit, Justin Arns, recruit, Zed Key, recruit, Kyle Young, recruit. Then you supplement, Jamari Wheeler, transfer, Justice Suing, transfer, Cedric Russell, who's really transfer, right? Jimmy Soto, who doesn't really do much, transfer. But like, if that's it, give me an eight-man rotation with two dudes, six role guys, and six of the eight are, are recruits and two of the eight are transfers, blueprint. Print that up, I'm buying it. Sweet 16 and then peak at the final four. Boom. Let's make t-shirts, Steven. This <laughs> is how you build an Ohio state basketball roster. So we need to see the results, but as much as at times I've been like, where are we, where are we going here? It's like, okay. And I think Chris Holman would say, we were always headed towards here. Doug, shut your hole. Okay. I'm shutting it. Hole mm. shut clamp shut. Cause I like how this has come together. Yeah, he can say that, but you should have got there faster. But yes. <laughs> See, now you're being mean. I'm supposed to be there. But I know. Again, it's year five. So it's like, okay, yeah. the blueprint. I mean, it's not like it's year two. It's year five, but that's okay. So this is where they are. COVID's been a mess. We get it. Where they are right now, I think there's a lot of reason to watch this team, to have reasonable expectations about this team, and to like believe this team and not preemptively doubt them. And I just think that makes for a nice winter for Ohio State sports fans. All right, so people, Stephen, they can read cleveland.com slash OSU or cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. We'll have the basketball stories there. You do text out stuff. Again, it's not overflowing constantly like it is with football, but the stuff that you need to know, 
um, you will know. What what are some things that you would like to maybe write down the pike that you're thinking about this team or that you're starting to work on when when you're dealing uh, covering the basketball beat? Yeah, I, I prefaced a question about Michi back in the offseason when we got Chris Holtman. I, I basically called his his style of play Dwayne-ish. Um, and I asked him, when it's at this young stage, how do you kind of focus that Dwayne-ish energy? And so you get the best of what Dwayne Washington was without the other part, you know, the part that drives everybody crazy. And he gave an interesting answer. And I've been just asking different coaches. I've asked Michi a couple of times. And that's just something I'm continuing to pay attention to as the season goes on, because I do think – there's going to come a time this season where Michi's going to win them some basketball games and it's going to be, and then I'm going to actually print a t-shirt that says Dwayne-ish with <laughs> Michi Johnson's face on it, because I do think he's, he's his Dwayne Washington moment is coming. The question is, is it going to be the good version of Dwayne Washington or is it going to be the version that had Holtman ready to you know, strangle Dwayne Washington Jr. out on the court version. And I think that's an interesting thing to continue to watch for that. That's the thing. Number one. And then Zed key as a, a very undersized big man who doesn't always necessarily play like he's only like six, eight. And there's going to be some times this season. Like he's going to have to play against Kofi Coburn, who's a lot bigger than him. And he held his own against him last year. And he seems to hold his own against much bigger bigs than what he is. And that's an interesting thing to me because this isn't a big Ohio state team, but everybody in their front court plays bigger than they are. Even EJ Liddell, I mean, he's averaging three blocks a game and he's six foot six. You know, and that that's an interesting roster building mentality when it's you don't have a, a guy that you look at and go, this is a rim protector. And yet their rim is always being protected. EJ had a block Thursday night that was a rewind it and watch it again. Yes. Block. Swooping in help defense, pin that thing against the glass. I literally my daughter, who is a basketball fan and enjoys watching sports, but she also is a teenager. So she constantly is looking at her phone. It was like EJ did that. I was like, did you see that? And she's like, no. And I was like, all right, give me the remote. You've got to watch this. So then we rewound it. Then she watched it. And she went, oh, and I was like, that's sports. If you're going to watch sports, watch it. Don't have it on and miss everything while you're looking at your phone. Kids these days, Stephen. Someday you'll know. Uh, okay, for now, that's our basketball little check-in with the Buckeye Hoopsters. We'll be back with football stuff next week. We got a plan, probably going to do some Ohio State football awards for the season. Um, let the texters 614-350-3315 vote on that. That the plan is for that to be the Monday pod, but who knows, man? Sometimes stuff goes nuts. So, and then I hopefully we'll be getting um, to talk to some of these new assistant coaches sometime in the coming weeks. For now, for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>